the Ghost Goal Podcast. The two marquee games of the Premier League this weekend featured comebacks for Manchester City and Chelsea as Arsenal put in a valiant performance to go 1-0 ahead of the City before falling ill to some controversial decisions by referee Stuart Atwell. Meanwhile, Chelsea went down 2-0 to Liverpool, managed to storm back with two goals late in the first half before the game ended in a 2-2 draw, all but sealing the title for Manchester City. I'm Alex, here with Javier. Welcome to the Ghost Goal Podcast, episode 339. We tried our best, Alex. We tried our best. We tried to stop the, the, the 10 winning streak. We should have done it. Fucking Granite Jaka. Should we just dive right into that game or, or what? Where do you it, where do you want to start? Like you, it seems like you want to, Javier. Well, I, I, well, you were saying just before, I don't want to talk about this. Uh, why do we have to do this? And now you're on the mic. You're just diving right in. No, it's just it's no been it's been, a, it's been a shitty uh, shitty footy week this week, and yeah, just Tottenham getting that last minute winner in the 96th minute, along with Arsenal losing a game they should have won against Manchester City. It would have felt good to at least even get a draw out of that game. But but listen to yourself. Before we before this weekend, when we were pre- previewing the game, you were saying, as long as we don't embarrass ourselves, I'll be happy. Like, as long as we're in the game, put in a good performance, you can't be mad. And I think you should stand by that, because I came out of this game and this result from Arsenal much more impressed with them than any performance I've seen from you guys over the last couple of years. It was like a, a proper, cohesive, structural, good team performance where you guys defended well for 90% of the game. You know, makes it a bit tougher on you guys when you get the, the second yellow card to Gabriel in the, in the second half while it's still 1-1 and you're, you know, sitting a lot deeper for the rest of the game and have to defend that way. But other than the sort of sketchy goal that went in at the end, it was like, it wasn't any brilliance for Manchester city. It was just, you know, hard headedness on their part that got them the winner. But other than that one moment, you guys as a team defended very well against one of the clubs that we've been praising as a machine. And I don't think there's any shame in defeat this time around. Yes. You guys probably deserve to draw out of it. I can understand your frustration, but I think you and other Arsenal fans should definitely be proud of that performance. And oh, I think you'll see it I am. lead to more I, good performances am, and you'll get a lot of confidence proud. from it. I am proud of that performance, especially because, you know, outside of the, the Granite Xhaka red card or penalty, which was idiotic and, you know, controversially Rob holding, failing to clear yeah, uh, cross it was, and just letting it, it drop. Was, it's into, two players uh, still left over from the Wenger era that made the errors to, that led to Manchester City goals. Outside of those two players, everyone else in the team pretty much put in a flawless performance. Thomas, that was probably Thomas's best game in an Arsenal shirt, playing against a high, high level opposition. Saka as well was excellent. Martinelli, both of them were outlets the entire game. Um, and Tomoyasu, Ben White, Gabriel. And Tierney are, are, are such a solid back line right now. I think that they're up there with every other every other back line in the Premier League right now. I mean, they don't have a, a talismanic defender like Van Dyke or Brudiger or something like that, but they're they're a young team and all of that's a young back line that just came together and the the way that they're playing so far has is just, you know, super impressive 
completely changes the the way I look at Arsenal starting from games now and my expectations defensively going forward and now offensively as well with with the attacking input that seems so many players have, have been, I mean Martinelli could have had multiple goals in this game missed two you know he had two pretty so brilliant solo runs in the first half that ended with near you know near shots missing wide and then he had a tap in that he missed when it was 1-1 you know, five yards out and blast it wide. So, did you see, did uh, you see the ref getting his way for that? Yeah, not that was, only that was from the Ake clearance off the line, right? Yes, that was just before yep, the, the ref was the in his yep, the ref, the ref was in his way in front of that, and he missed it, whiffs it wide, and then you know, not only that, he just the ref didn't call a penalty or the VAR overturned a penalty, um, and then what? They, did VAR overturn a penalty? We got the penalty. The ref gave the penalty for the Odegaard thing. VAR overturned oh, he, it. He gave that? He gave it, I yes. He didn't. He I gave it. He didn't give it. No, and he then, did. He gave it, and then they said it was a clear and obvious error, but they didn't tell him to go to the screen. And then he. They, they, and that's wild. Yeah, they overturned it, gave him a penalty, gave them a penalty, and then. In the play against for Manchester City, he does go to the screen after he hadn't given the penalty and thought it was a dive. So it's just like it, it feels a little bit wrong, a little bit inconsistent for Arsenal fans, and it feels wrong that the so a player like or a referee like Stuart Atwell was in charge of a game like that. So yeah, just a, a, a rough game all around. <laughs> he's he's a proclaimed Manchester City fan, like. That can't be true. He, they have he, they literally in his bio, they don't what? Yeah, in his bio he's a self-proclaimed Manchester City fan. So there's no way that's real. In fact, I I'm stopping this right now just so we can Google that and confirm that cuz that's so ridiculous. So what you're saying is someone just went in and like changed his Wikipedia. Uh, it, it looks like someone did that. Yeah, that's what it looks like happened. Someone all right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I called that shit out because that happens all the time after games like this. Fans of the team that, you know, is perceived to have been screwed over by the referee go to their Wikipedia. Yeah, I saw like multiple say, posts about it. And then of he's him a Manchester being, City fan. Right. I think I th- the, thing, the thing I heard that I think is a bit more accurate is that he's from like the Manchester area or from up northwest, which... Again, there are so many teams up around there that, you know, there's no there's no link. Like, people need to cut this shit out and just settle on the fact that referees are incompetent. And they have been for a long time before VAR was ever a thing. So adding VAR to that has just added to the complications that were already there when uh, you know, before, because the referees can be very incompetent. That being said, like, I, I feel like I haven't heard you praise arsenal enough yeah well like, like, no, I, get it. No, I was gonna say I that was there were some I, I wanted to, I wanted to say that way. that blur but having said that everyone in the team played to the highest level that they could and we should have won the game i mean that was the first time that we've played manchester city in the league in the last five years that i've thought to myself we should have won that game in every other game we've played that they've blown us away or even if it's been kind of close they all they've always deserved to win the game in this situation I, they i don't think they did um, and they kind of got away with it here, so good, good on them. I'm gonna, that- add, the, uh, I'm, I'm gonna add something that we kind of hit on in our preview, where you were mentioning that you guys had your game with Wolves the previous midweek postponed. City had their car- uh, no, they had a Premier League game at Brentford the previous midweek. So you were saying our team should be, you know, fresh as a daisy. You've got all young players anyway, and. That really stood out to me when I was watching, especially the first half, because, you know, the second half is kind of marred by Gabrielle getting sent off in the 59th minute. So you can't really judge from that. 
but on the first half performance where you take the lead, you could have had a penalty given. You guys were buzzing all over the place. Like you said, Martinelli was a monster. Odegaard was playing really well. Uh, Saka obviously gets the goal. It's something that I think was a factor. And I'm not saying it wouldn't have, wouldn't have continued into the, the second half. Uh, without the 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 red card, the second yellow card, but it's something that I think needs to be said when when you look at Manchester City and you think a lot of these players just didn't look really up for it. Raheem Sterling uh, got pretty much cuffed by Tomiyasu. Yeah, I, I I wasn't I wasn't seeing the same sort of quick, sharp Manchester City that we're we're used to, and you know it's hard to tell how much of that is what Arsenal were doing was keeping them from from reaching their highest level and how much of it was you know the the fatigue of our press this was, being like was, right was the fantastic the, the our Christmas press was period. excellent against you know our, our press at home so far this season has been really really good having the fans yeah, yeah, behind that, you that was that was levels above that was, that was like yeah our press in this boost game of was playing was against insane, Manchester City yeah. at home plus the boost of not having played a game for a week you know and getting finally getting that that rest uh, I'm, I'm not trying to like undercut what you guys did. It was impressive, and you guys had to go out and do it all the same. But it's still a factor for sure, and like how, and how you guys were able to perform so well against a, a really good Manchester City team. So, do you think do you think your players have like the sort of emotional maturity to take that result, and obviously the frustration that comes with it, but focus themselves more on the performance and replicating that? Do you think this is sort of a a, vict- a moral victory in some ways where, yeah, you guys lost, but your players can sort of rally around the performance and say, we can beat anyone. We're good enough to play on uh, play on any pitch with any team in the, in the country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I think that has to show that. I mean, there's now we're going to have a, a test of, I think, only a, only a couple of Premier League games. The next two Premier League games, I think, away Tottenham and I think it's home Crystal Palace or away Palace. Those might be our next two games, and both of those that we're gonna ha- not going to have Thomas, but because there's a two week break right now, he's actually not going to miss that many games unless he goes really really deep into the African Cup of Nations, which isn't that likely with Ghana. They're not one of the favorites, um, so I think we really need him back. But for the most part, having a young team that's adapted to what Arteta has been teaching. It seems like now that he has, this is finally his team, right? There's only a couple of players, like we said, who made those errors that are Wenger-era players. And, you know, hopefully he's learning his lesson right now of what what happens when you play grounded Jaka consistently is, you know, yeah, it has some positives, but usually the negatives outweigh the positives. So, especially in big games. And maybe he's a weapon that can be deployed against shittier teams and, and it's fine, but... It seems like always in the big games, Granit Xhaka has these moments, and we got to stop relying on him. But he, we're going to rely on him these next few weeks, and he's going to be very important for us. So I was, I was about to say because not only is Partey going away to the African Cup of Nations, but it looks like you guys are selling Ainsley Maitland-Niles or loaning him to uh, Roma for the rest of the season. So that leaves you kind of shorthanded in midfield. So I'm, I'm guessing your Arsenal are going to be looking at signing a. Defensive midfielder El Neni too. I forgot El Neni's going to uh, African Cup of Nations with Egypt as well. So you, you only have Sambi and who else? Who am I forgetting? Shaka, 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 and then I guess Odegaard can sometimes Odegaard, play. Odegaard, Ben White positions. can play in midfield. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's more cover than I originally thought. But still, I feel like a, a, a defensive midfield option would kind of be 
something you guys should be looking into just so that what you said about Shaka, you can sort of start to phase him out, save him for the cup games, you know, maybe keep him happy with these Carabao Cup semifinals over the next couple of weeks. But, you know, try and focus on building towards we'll something. That, uh, that kid, Charlie Patino, Alex. Watch him. Uh, yeah, yeah. If you think he's ready, then go for it. No, nah, no, nah, I don't Premier think he might is, be, uh, It might be a, a little bit too much for him. Right. But, but no, yeah. I, I, well, I think what we'll make a signing. I think Arsenal will be looking to, to do something like that. Um, and hopefully, I don't, I don't have any names yet, but I, I, so far, all the signings that they got over the summer have ended up being clinical parts of the team. Bramsdale, Tomiyasu, Odegaard, you know, bringing Emil Smith-Rowe into the team. Saka was already in the team, but... You know, there's a lot of key decisions that Arteta made so far in the season, big gambles that he invested time in, and now the the fruits of the labor are paying off. I mean, we didn't get the win here, but I expect um, I expect this to be in it for top four till the end of the season. I mean, that wasn't my expectation coming into the season, right? So coming into the season, I thought if we get fifth or sixth, I'll be happy. Now I'm like, I want fourth place. Like we're good enough, and other teams are faltering enough where Arsenal can get fourth place right now. I know Tottenham are are, are looking strong and, and are going on this long unbeaten streak, but Tottenham are Tottenham, so they're going to slip up at some point. <laughs> I don't care if Antonio Conte's at the helm. And, um, you know, Manchester United keep slipping up as well. So I think we can, we can be in it for top four and, and at bare minimum finishing in those Europa League spots and getting back into Europe. But this team is good enough to make it back into the Champions League, I think. If, if we stay healthy and, and play consistently like we did against Manchester City. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's enough Arsenal for one day. You guys, you should be proud of yourselves, but uh, let's move on to the other marquee game of the weekend. Chelsea-Liverpool took place Sunday uh, morning here in America, evening over in England. Game ended 2-2. Uh, Liverpool went ahead with two early goals, uh, one from Sadio Mane in the ninth minute and another from Mohamed Salah in the 26th minute before Mateo Kovacic uh, got Chelsea back into it with a screamer, a goal of the season contender in the 42nd minute. And then three minutes later, Christian Pulisic scored the equalizer. Uh, there are plenty of chances in the second half as well, but it ended 2-2. Like I said in the intro, it, that going into this game, it, it, the title was all but sealed by Manchester City uh, with their late win against you guys. But the draw here further confirmed that because uh, both teams are... I think we're both now double digits behind Manchester City in the table. We confirm that. Uh, yeah, Chelsea are 10 points behind City and Liverpool are 11 points behind Manchester City with a game in hand. So they could technically get back into it, but they are another team that's going to be uh, ravaged by the African Cup of Nations and uh, players like Salah and Mane and Keita leaving for that. Uh, but uh, looking at this game, I uh, if you guys have Instagram, even if you don't, Go to our, uh, our Twitter account or the Instagram account itself, and you can find the link to uh, Andrew and I did like a, a live Instagram live uh, for 20 minutes after the, the full time results for this. So we could both vent our uh, frustrations and what we were happy with as well. Uh, but it was certainly an eventful game. We had commentators and people on social media calling it one of the games of the season at halftime. And, uh, you know, we didn't get quite as many goals in the second half, but I still felt like it was an entertaining game that was, you know, going either way for 10 to 15 minutes here and there. Liverpool would have the better of the possession and then it would go back with Chelsea uh, trying to push for the result. 
what were your takeaways from this game? I certainly have plenty if you can't tell by now. I mean, Liverpool should have put several goal, more goals past Chelsea in that first half. In those first thirty minutes, Chelsea were were all over the place. Do you really? Do you really think so? Yeah, in the first thirty minutes, I, I don't buy that. Chelsea Dude, were all over the minutes, place. We were all over them. They uh, we should have scored with Pulisic okay, like okay, seven well, minutes right, in. I, I was, okay, I'll take it back. First five minutes, Chelsea should have scored. Uh, you guys were were really good in those first few minutes. They scored on the counterattack, and then they looked really good after they scored. They had a period of like twenty five minutes where they should have scored a bunch of goals. But then I was really impressed. I don't know about that. I really don't know about that. I think that, that that's as the kids would say, that's cap. I would say for the most part during that game, like I they said, they were dragging were Alonso like, like in and out and everywhere. They were both teams were doing well, but it was very even, man. There was no there was no twenty to twenty five minute period where one team was just on top of the other. If anything, I'd it say felt that like about. Liverpool were so dangerous and Chelsea weren't doing that much with their possession. And yeah, I mean they took advantage of the the, the Kovacic goal kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, you guys were, nah, we were pushing, you guys were pushing, we were pushing. You were building with you were building with possession. But I mean, that finish was insane. Like you said, goal of the season contender. And then there was a lot of extra time. I don't remember well, whose injury it was, but there was a, like four or five minutes of extra time. And that whole time, Chelsea dominated the end of the half from like the from the Kovacic goal, got another goal with Pulisic four minutes later. And then, you know, until the end of the half, you, you didn't want the, the half to end because it was so, so good and, and Chelsea were, okay, so maybe, were attacking so that So here's much. where I'll admit a little bit of bias. My, I remember thinking, even when we went down 2-0, 26 minutes in, I remember thinking, there's no way this ends like the Liverpool-Manchester United 5-0. I, I remember thinking, like, that's not going to happen to us because for this game specifically, they didn't have Allison. He was out with COVID. For, I think it was announced the night before. So they had uh, Quiven Kelleher, the young Irish goalkeeper in goal, who, who played pretty well. But I was still like, all right, he's in goal. They had Robertson suspended, so Simikas was at left back. Uh, and their midfield was getting run off the park. Fabinho, Jordan Henderson, and Milner couldn't handle Kante and Kovacic. Kante and Kovacic just like raised their level. And they had the kind of game that I said they would need to for us to have any sort of chance. Because prior to Sunday... Conte had been playing with injury for some games. It was still a doubt until the day before, two days before this game, that Conte would would even play. And Kovacic was sort of slowly making his way back from his injury as well. And he would frequently get gassed after like 20 to 30 minutes of playing time in previous games. So I wasn't sure those two could play for the full 90 minutes. And in the end, I don't think Kovacic did. I think uh, Jorginho eventually came on for him. But it, it was it was good to see, and it was a welcome surprise because with all the off-field bullshit going on around this Lukaku situation, which, you know, most people talking about Chelsea right now, they'll sort of default to the Lukaku news right away. But I, I prefer to talk about the game. But I don't really Lukaku think it really matters play. that much. I mean, it, he didn't play in this game. I guess it matters that he didn't play in this game while being well, he fit would have and everything played in that would have happened. Yeah. He would have played in the game if that interview hadn't come out on, like, I think it was New Year's Eve it was released. So, like, the day after we, we did our previews. And it was an, an interview with Sky Italia that, I mean, since then, he's done a whole apology and everything and explained that it was supposed to be an interview, uh, like, that was a goodbye to Inter Milan fans. And now, like, he'll never forget his time there. But it certainly did not play that way. Uh, most places because once it got translated it basically was translated into 
Lukaku misses Inter and wants to go back. And all the Chelsea fans have just thrown a fit since then. I, th- I think for some good reason, because, you know, it, it's it's misguided, I would say. I don't think it's he's he was meaning to be directly like flagrant and saying like, I'm unhappy with Chelsea and I want to move because that, that's just insane. He just signed a five-year deal back in June. So like he, th- that wouldn't happen. Plus, he's been injured for most of the season anyway. I think it was more... He was more referring to unhappy with like the current status of how things were going at Chelsea, which when the interview took place, I think was kind of fair. Like we weren't, we started to have our results drop off. He was coming back from his injury, but couldn't get fit enough to like start games consistently. So he was sort of being thrown on for 20 minutes here or there at the end of games to sort of slowly build him back up. And it's just that with the results, I think, has just led to Chelsea fans freaking the fuck out. It's going to take a while for him to get Chelsea fans to like him again. Like, you're not going to hear Lukaku's name chanted around Stamford Bridge anytime soon. Um, so that it's a distraction, but I think Tuchel handled it very well by just eliminating that variable and not picking him in the squad for the Liverpool game. Because can you imagine if, he, if even if he was a sub, Lukaku warming up? for that game for the hour plus or whatever like he would he would be warming up we'd just be getting absolute pelters from Chelsea fans for that entire time and so Tuchel just eliminates that variable starts Havertz up top it kind of ends up being a blessing in disguise which I made the point of when Andrew and I were talking about it because Chelsea's press was I thought I thought it was one of the best like pressing high energy performances Chelsea have had this season. It's up there with that Juventus. It wasn't game, because of Kai Havertz though. Kai Havertz was I think the the worst player on that Chelsea squad. I mean everyone else. But was I'm talking specifically so about. I'm talking about specifically about how like the abilities team to press as a whole. Kai Havertz, he was the one who who there was blocked no that Chelsea Trent didn't have. Ball. You didn't have an offensive no, dude, game. He blocked plan. the Trent ball that went to pull six feet, and then Pulisic had the one v one and fucked it up. Like he he's a much more mobile and willing presser without the ball than than Lukaku ever can be. Lukaku doesn't have the the stamina to do all that running. So yeah, I'm not saying Kai Havertz had an amazing game, but for that specific matchup and to help the team as a whole press, I thought Kai Havertz did a good job. And then you know left it to a screamer from Kovacic and like a good run from Pulisic to get us the actual goals. I was about Pulisic to say was it, it the was most threatening player. The, the biggest thing for me was. Chelsea's build-up play was was fantastic, especially because of Kovacic. But I could, I didn't see the offensive game plan. I didn't really understand what Chelsea's consistent way of scoring goals is going to be moving forward until you have Romelu Lukaku in the team. So while it worked for a for a, a big mistake for the Pulisic goal and then a worldie from Kovacic in this game. The goal threat outside of that wasn't huge, you know, and I think b- missing Reese James and Chilwell is another big factor with that because they were creating so many chances and assists for you guys. So that's a huge miss that is suddenly out of the team, and now you have a, a, a you know much older Espelicueta and Alonso playing there. So these are these are thirty year old plus thirty plus year old players playing wing back week week in and week out for Chelsea and. Uh, but again, in midfield, the, the 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 play was phenomenal. They just need something to that they can focus on, something that they can channel their their you know uh, uh, amazing playthrough. Because right now, a lot of times it was just going to Havertz, who was taking the ball out wide, and 
passing it back to a wing back that was going back to the center back, and th- there wasn't a, a consistent game plan at all while he was on the pitch. Offensively, so, I mean, Lukaku will be back. I have no doubt about it. Tuchel's pretty much said that he doesn't think it's as big of a deal as everyone else seems to think it is, and you know the the whole the whole narrative surrounding the Lukaku. Uh, the dropping of Lukaku for this game seems to have been Thomas Tuchel is reclaiming the power at Chelsea and he's not allowing players to act out kind of similar to the Arteta thing with Aubameyang. It's kind of saying, listen, you can't get away with doing this, this interview saying all these things, regardless of what you meant to say, it was poorly worded and expect like the fans and your teammates to be behind you after that. So you're going to sit out this game. We're going to, you know, remove that distraction, focus on getting the getting a result, which, you know, wasn't an ideal result, but still somewhat decent result. Uh, then, you know, they sat down and had meetings with him on Monday and he came out with a kind of cushy apology earlier today. And I'm guessing he's going to be right back in the team for these Carabao Cup games against Tottenham. And his the only way he can truly apologize to Chelsea fans is by banging in goals from here on out. So now's your chance, Lukaku. He's got had plenty of pressure on him before. Now he's got even more pressure. So the Liverpool side of this, when I was talking to Andrew, uh, he seemed kind of relieved that they got out of there with a with a draw. I, I didn't get anywhere near the praise for that Liverpool performance from Andrew that uh, that, that that you've <laughs> given them uh, today. Because like I said, I thought their midfield just looked tired and Kovacic and Kante just, you know, ran them off the there pitch. Was, there was they, they a 10-minute period. I think it was like the 50th to the 60th minute. Chelsea didn't get a goal, but Kovacic was just unreal. If you go back and watch the game, he was doing all these crazy flicks and passes and just like, he, he was just world-class for 10 minutes Kovacic that game. Kovacic on it his was, bullshit. It was, yeah, he was, he's, he's been Chelsea's player this season for sure. And when he's not in the side, Chelsea are significantly worse, so... You got to wrap that guy in wool right now because he's he's playing on, out of his mind. You could say the same about Golo Kante. There's been times when he's played hurt, even that he looks like the best player on the field. So having both of those players back and looking relatively injury free and not that hampered by injuries was it was nice. I'm not gonna lie, that kind of that kind of. Uh, it's kind of like an indirect way that we score goals. We have midfielders and forwards. Who Alex, can Chelsea won well clean sheet the in the last in. 10 games. Are you worried? No. Uh, what should I be worried about? What should I be worried about, Javier? Arsenal are better defensively than you. Now you've had an easier schedule, and we usually are pretty shit around December, you know? Let's see at the end of the year who has uh, least goals conceded. Yeah, I don't really care about that. I... Uh, what do you we're, mean? We're a better you should team be more you. confident. We're a better team on. than you, and you know we don't concern we'll ourselves with the opinions of sheep. I, ooh, there's, we're we're we're, the, we're lions, like our uh, Arsenal are probably like going to finish above side. you this season. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right I'm messing around. Uh, I'm messing around, laugh. Alex. Yeah, yeah, come on, come on, come on. I'm messing around. We've lost seven games. You've lost two. I don't think we're I, I literally. That, this was a topic. This was a topic I wanted to bring up with Andrew on uh, on Sunday. I said to him. Uh, are you are you worried, especially with the you know Salah and Mane leaving and all that? Like, are you worried about top four at all? And he just went, no, like not at all. And I went, yeah, me too. I'm not worried either. Like, even though our teams are both oh, kind of having dips in form right now, both of us know we're going to be fine. It's going to be Arsenal, Manchester United, Tottenham, and then West Ham. They're going to be the four teams, you know, 
scrapping it out for that fourth spot. So you guys have fun with that. We're uh, we're going to round into shape very soon. All right, soon. once Europe comes back around, Chelsea and Liverpool are playing big games in Europe, do, and you have uh, you're in a bunch of cup competitions. You know you're going to start dropping games in the league, and we're going to start winning. We're going to go win, 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 win because we don't have Europe, and then we're going to finish above you, Alex. It's going to happen. Same thing with yeah, Liverpool. Even in, that, even in that nightmare scenario, if I was to entertain it, then like next year would come around, you guys would have games every other day and you would just shit yourselves, you know? So, yeah, we'd probably drop so right it's all, back it's all out of the fake phantom, it's, it's all true. phantom form, you know? No one, no one trusts it. Let's move on just to hit on real quick a couple of very interesting results from this weekend. Uh, Tottenham got a last second win against Watford, 1 0. Uh, at Vicarage Road, uh, Davinson Sanchez scored in the 96th minute, six minute of injury time. I didn't think Tottenham really deserved it, but like we said in the preview, Watford are a sieve. So uh, they're they're likely to concede bullshit goals at any moment. And Hyunming Son whipped in a fantastic ball from a free kick that Sanchez was just unmarked for at the near post and glanced in from six yards out. So... So what you get with Watford, uh, they're on a pretty bad losing streak right now. Um, but Tottenham and Antonio Conte, what, 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 what have I said about him, Javier? He just churns he just out churns results. out wins, man. Yeah, I, it it's was just, it's infuriating. It's I, I obviously didn't watch this game because right after the Arsenal result, I didn't want anything to do with footy. So I didn't watch any of the rest of the yeah, games for this you game. You went radio silent for twelve hours straight. No, no, after no, the no, Arsenal that result. didn't happen, like, we, Alex. I don't we know just what you're didn't hear about. from you on text for for hours. I was working, that, Alex, which, working. Yes. Hey, man, you usually shoot a text even when you're working. <laughs> I hate to be that guy, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not yeah, I had to stay away from footy. Like, I had to stay away from footy for a while. You know, I felt like that before that, yeah. that West Ham game we lost a few weeks ago that, uh, that gave me that reaction. Um, but we're, we're diverting from Tottenham, uh, Chelsea, we have to play Tottenham three times in the next month, twice in the semifinals of the Carabao cup. And uh, once in the league, that league game is going to be at home, but it's going to be Antonio Conte's first time returning to Chelsea since he left in 2018. So since he sued Chelsea for 36 million pounds and won two different lawsuits against Chelsea, it's going to be his first time returning. He's probably going to get a raucous reception at Stamford Bridge. We'll see. I wouldn't say raucous because no Spurs manager will ever get a raucous welcome at Stamford Bridge. That's just that's not happening. But uh, oh, I mean, I like a funny, booze. a funny, oh, a lot yeah, of okay. booze. Uh, well, no, actually, I don't think he would. I don't think he'll get booze either. I think he'll. It will just be like a a quiet applause, like a thank you, like because most Chelsea fans, you know, especially the match going fans, loved Antonio Conte. My dad still wishes we'd kept him and you know never basically given him the kind of control and power over the players that they're now giving Tuchel and but you know Chelsea didn't at the time so now he's the Tottenham manager uh it's it's a little intimidating because now you actually have to take Tottenham somewhat seriously I know you're making jokes about them choking but Antonio Conte you know he, he broke the Juventus like dynasty that he created by going to Inter. And everyone knew he was going to do it. It took him a year longer than we expected, but he still did it. Um, and he knows Romelu Lukaku's weaknesses. So let's save you know, the let's save the Tottenham to... top Alex for uh, when we play them in the North London Derby when we come back and uh, after this international. I'm just break. saying, look out for Tottenham. They've got their uh, pretty winnable games against us. I'm not saying they West will Ham win, took care but... of Crystal Palace like I said they would. 
they uh, they this this shows that they're still in that Champions League race. They're they're in, yeah, in my, the Europa my disclaimer, League races. Javier, my disclaimer was uh, if Conor Gallagher is fit. Uh, 2-1 Crystal Palace. He was not fit. Um, and then Brentford. Brentford, man, they beat Aston Villa 2-1. They're, they're dogs at home. They just they play so well at home. They've got so many different players who can score goals. It seems like every week it's someone different who's scoring. And, you know, I think they're the, they were the first team ever that their first 10 goals scored at home in the Premier League were 10 different goal scorers. It just it it seems like they just ball out at home and they just have fun. But, yeah, they're, they're going to stay in the Premier League because of their home form. Um, another team that's going to stay in the Premier League is, is Brighton. Had a, that a, a three-two fun win at Everton. We were calling that Everton were not Brighton looking good have, there. Yeah, Brighton, Brighton are good. I, I'm I'm here to tell you that Brighton started Malpai up top like they usually do, but they played in a three-four-three with Alexis McAllister, the Argentine attacking midfielder, and Umwepu. Uh, Enoch Mwepu. Yeah, he's looked great yeah, this season. He's he been scored very that good. really great goal at Anfield a couple months back uh, when they came back and drew at Anfield 2-2. People forget that when shitting on Chelsea for drawing uh, Brighton at home. Um, but they have a 3-4-3 now with these two uh, attacking midfielders who can also kind of double as wingers in McAllister the and Mwepu. doesn't even play on the team anymore. Uh, he played He played against us. And he was really good. So, I mean, that, that helps having that midfield. But, like, they can start Lalana in midfield. But with the pressing from those front three of Maupai, McAllister, and Wepu, also that, that was without Trossard even even playing uh, the last two games. He's come on and, like, off the bench. They've got some they've got some nice attacking and sort of, like, uh, a, a, players with the ability to press that not a lot, a lot of teams of Brighton's, you know, wage bill can do. So th- I think they're up in eighth place now. They were kind of dipping there for a while, getting a lot of draws. They had like a bunch of draws in a row without winning or losing games. So people just kind of forgot they're about them. They're finding their goal scoring touch finally. Threat. Yeah, they're, they're finally threat, starting their sure. goal scoring touch. And now Some that they're the doing they're that, uh, nice too. defensively, they've just been, they've still just been solid this whole season. Very, you know, haven't really gotten blown out. Uh, and they're they're Yeah, I think they're going to finish in the, in the top 10 this season and uh, be a threat to anyone they play against, especially at home. The last game we've got to talk about, there's been plenty of others, but we have to talk about Manchester United's 1-0 loss at home to Wolves Monday evening. Xiao uh, Matinho deserved, scored in the Deserved Wolves minute. away win at Old Trafford, has to be said, because they dominated large swaths of the game. Manchester United had uh, you know, a few five-minute pockets where they put pressure on Wolves, the crowd got behind, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo shots on goal. The second half, United had a, had a better time. You know, they hit the post with Fernandez like soon after he came on. That was uh, really late I, in I'm the so, game. I'm, I'm not saying United deserved anything from this game, uh, but, you know, it, it was mostly the first half performance from Wolves that... I mean, De Gea made so many saves exactly in that first half. They There was like seven or eight shots. It, it was... De Gea has been Manchester United's best player this season, the last three seasons, the last ten seasons. I mean, the dude's been... There's been obviously bits and pieces of time where he's been not as good. Bro, there's been, like, there's been large chunks of time he's been bad. There's been, been, like, bad, a full year, like, two or three years right. ago where he was not playing well. But there's been way more times where he saved Manchester United many, many points and many blushes, and this was another one of those games, so... 
Wolves look scary, man. I mean, they defensively they're the second best team in the league. They have now had eight games in a row where there's only been one goal in the game. So either they draw you nil nil, or they score on you, or maybe you beat them. But you're not going to score many goals on this Wolves team. And, and a couple of those one nil losses were, you know, the two games in a row home against Liverpool, where they lost right in the last kick of the game. And then the away game at City, where they had a bullshit penalty given against them for hitting the underside of Xiaomitinho's arm. So they, they could have gotten something. For, oh, also, they had the, the red card in that game, and they you know still didn't concede any more while playing down to 10 men at the Etihad for basically an entire half. So yeah, they're, they're a formidable defensive team, which was not something I really foresaw with Bruno Lage coming in. He was known for being a very attacking manager at Benfica with players like Shao Felix and Seferovic. He, he got those teams to play very uh, high-pressing, high-tempo attacking football. But it seems like he's kind of built on the, the infrastructure that Nuno Espirito Santo has laid down. He's, he switched away from a four at the back to start the season, has gone back to this 3-4-3 that uh, Nuno did so well with. And now that he's getting some players back, players like Podence. Podence didn't get on the score sheet, but was excellent against Manchester United. He's gotten Jimenez looking back to the sort of active, do-everything center forward that he used to be. Uh, the one the one thing he's really missing is uh, either Jimenez or uh, Huang when he comes back from injury. One of those two players needs to start scoring consistently, and they could be a really, really formidable team. Uh, and maybe not this season, but next season, they could even launch themselves in the same sort of discussion that West Ham have. I, I, I do see that for them. Um, but they've got a couple of uh, players they're going to be missing from the African Cup of Nations as well. Roman Seiss, who's been like a quietly good defender for them for the last couple of seasons is going to be going with Morocco and uh, Willie Bolly, the other center back. So they'll, uh, they'll, they'll have to deal with that and see if they can keep this form up. But what, what do you think of their chances at like any sort of European place this season? Do you think they could sneak into like a conference league place or a Europa League Not really. I think there's too many good teams. I think maybe a cup competition, but no, I don't, I don't see it this year. I think they don't have the goals in them. I think that Huang, Lee Chang is, is, I think, only on loan. I don't think he's going to be scoring that. And, and his injury seems to be keeping him out a couple of months. So Jimenez is going to probably need at least another season, like this, till the, the end of this season and maybe next year he'll he'll start score his finding his goal scoring touch again. But he still seems to be kind of rusty in, in, in the finishing department while still being a hard worker. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say uh, no to that question myself. I mean, they're seven points behind you guys. You're in fourth. They have a game in hand, and they have to play you guys. Like they had a game postponed. So I don't know. Maybe they. Maybe they beat you guys. Win their game in hand. All of a sudden, they're one point behind you. Well, I don't think they're going to beat. You want to bullshit me with Chelsea might not make top four? I'm going to bullshit you with Wolves are going to finish above you, Javier. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> we're closer. We're closer to to you right now, Alex, and Wolves are so to us. You know, uh, that's mathematically false. We are eight points. We have ahead a game in hand against you. Are... Yeah, we have a game no, no, in hand. You, so you if we win our game in hand, we'll be five said, points said, behind you. Javier, you just yes. said you're closer to Chelsea than uh, you, Arsenal are to Wolves, which I'm just pointing out is factually incorrect. Uh, yeah, so you know, I just want to. Yeah, make that point. You know, hey, man, we didn't talk you. enough you about uh, Man United being garbage, Alex, and Rafael Nick <laughs> is not a good coach. He's not a good coach. 
you know. Yes, and Javier, what's going on? What's going wrong at Manchester United? There's too many personalities there. Too many people trying to stop this. Stop this. Focus on what's going on on the pitch. What do you What do you see? Don't I don't get, like. We talk I don't about like the this force four two 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 formation. They don't have the players for it. He needs to make signings in the window. Get rid of players. Their midfield is absolutely dreadful. They played Matic McTominay again in midfield, and it's just it's so dire to watch. It's 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 not creatively it's very limited defensively it's okay but not mobile and it really puts a lot of pressure on Shaw and Wambisaka because they have to step up often on uh, tricky attacking players that run through the midfield and easily get past Matic or McTominay and then the wing back has to step up to make the challenge because the center back can't do it because he's got to stay with the strikers so it, it, it makes defending really difficult for the back line of the Manchester United defenders and while Pressing-wise, yeah, they've looked at times, you know, like they've been able to get the ball back. They don't have the the personnel to keep that up for an entire game. And the small spurts of time that they do it leaves them also vulnerable because they don't know how to go get back into position after the press. And often they, they leave huge gaps in the team that that allow quick attacking players like uh, Alec, like St. Maximan did a couple of weeks ago. Um, and like Adama many times, Adama Traore, yeah, uh, and just many, many times, any of those Wolves attacking quick players did it so many times, just it was so easy for them to get through Manchester United's defense. No matter how good their press is, they just, their shape is just not good enough. And with with the players, it seems like the formation's being forced. So a lot of, a lot of problems, I think. Ragnet's not going to be the coach long term. So I can't, I can't imagine these players listening to him that much. Yeah. Well, the, the, I think. The thing those players need to realize, and I'm starting to sense that the sort of media narrative has been gearing more towards what's wrong with the players at Manchester United, which I think is is right, because there's been a good few managers there with the same sort of core group of players, and the same issues have come up you know, inevitably with every single manager. So at this point, everyone's got to, I think, look at the players Yes, United do need to go out and sign preferably two midfield players. Even one that would make a significant impact would probably be appreciated and necessary for them to get back into top four to finish this season. Uh, but it's it's hard to see who that player is. Uh, Andrew and I were, were talking about like maybe Ruben Neves, but I, I, I don't know like how much he would improve them. He would certainly help, but I, I was suggesting Yuri Tielemans. But I don't even know if he would be willing to go. They're not, to they're not signing. They're not signing like an English a player from Leicester or from Wolves. Who they're not. They're not going to give Manchester United a player right now. So we have to be someone foreign, someone like Bruno Guimaraes at Lyon, or you know, uh, an unwanted. Even he wouldn't be guaranteed to be like great right away. No, but. or like, but someone like that, someone who could who's had some success in in uh, for their national team is young can come into the team and, and be a hard worker i think that would be better than anything that they have right now you know with with fred mctominay and and matic and seemingly paul Pogba just missing from the team so you know he's their best player and he hasn't been there for a long time and yeah they're really missing him you don't need two midfielders bring back paul pogba they're not doing that. He's he's leaving at the end of the season. He doesn't work hard either off the ball. It's uh, it seems pretty evident that like Paul Pogba is, his time at United is is done unless there's some sort of injury crisis or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. 
it's uh, it's kind of a mess there. I, I still just expect to wake up one morning to some like crazy news that United have signed a midfielder and their fortunes their fortunes can change like at any moment. I think um, they have the resources to do it. But I think we should probably wrap things up there. Did more of a uh, recap pod this week since uh, there's FA Cup games coming up this weekend. So uh, no Premier League until uh, the middle of the week next week and uh, going on from there. Uh, if you're still looking for games to watch, there's plenty of uh, games on the continent to look out for. On Sunday afternoon especially, there's going to be Roma-Juventus at 12.30 p.m., uh, Villarreal-Atletico at 3 p.m., Inter Milan-Napoli at 2.45 p.m. Oh, sorry, Inter Milan-Lazio. I uh, had a typo there. It's going to be Simone Inzaghi against his old team, Lazio. And uh, Manchester United-Aston Villa will probably be the best FA Cup game, and that's going to be on Monday at 2.55 p.m. And if you're a, a real hardcore deep diver, like I try to be, uh, the African Cup of Nations that we've been talking about with the context of players leaving this whole time, uh, that, those games are going to be kicking off on Sunday. But the, uh, the, the big games, or I guess the most entertaining games I picked out, were Morocco-Ghana Tuesday at 11 a.m., uh, Nigeria, Egypt, which is you know two real heavy hitters down in uh, on the African continent. Wednesday on, at 11 a.m. and uh, Senegal versus Guinea on uh, Friday next Friday. Um, so we, we can maybe uh, watch a couple a of those games shout, and Alex. talk about yeah. them next week because uh, yeah. I think we need to give the African Cup of Nations more love, more love than just not talking about it at all. Because it's uh, there, there's some really fun teams that's going to be playing in that and it's guaranteed to be a lot of goals so i don't know how much coverage games. we're going to have but yeah hopefully we get some get some games i think espn might have uh some rights uh on or espn plus at least so yeah that'll be interesting to look out for otherwise dm me for a streaming site and i'll send it to you guys uh if you want to follow me on twitter or instagram that's uh, asmos92 if you want to follow javier on twitter that's javierev9 and you can follow the podcast socials at Ghost Goal Pod. Uh, please do go ahead and follow the podcast socials, especially the Instagram. I want to start doing more of those post-game reaction pods. Uh, if I can convince Javier to, to do some, that'd be dope. You guys can harass him into to doing that. Um, we'll see about that. We'll have you on the we'll Ghost Goal account, it. Javier. We'll look into we'll it. Have you, we'll have you on the Ghost Goal account. I'll go on my personal account. And we'll just do the shared screen thing just for 15 minutes. It'll be fun. We tend to try and like preview the, the games coming up this weekend anyway, so it might be nice to get some of the like initial frustration of uh, games out like right after the the final whistle, rather than waiting a couple days for this pod. But yeah, go ahead and hit us up on social media. Give us a follow. If you're listening on a podcast app right now that allows you to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod, we'd really appreciate it that if you went ahead and did so. Uh, all those help new listeners find the pod, and we'd love it if you guys could help us grow this thing. So, uh, Javier, thanks again for jumping on this week. Enjoy the games this weekend, guys. And until next time. Bye.